and welcome to the Talking Heads podcast with Lucy and Saul, two head gardeners in Essex and Devon. In light of the coronavirus crisis we are living in and the drastic changes in horticulture happening up and down the UK, we both realised that bringing a regular glimpse into the gardens we look after might bring a little joy and interest. So for the foreseeable future, Talking Heads will now be a shorter podcast where Lucy and I bring you snippets of our daily lives in our gardens as spring unfurls. We'll also bring you news of gardens and gardeners, nurseries and nursery folk throughout the UK. So sit back, take a few minutes out of your day and tune into a small dose of our gardening lives. So I have to say I am officially jealous of you and I will tell you why there's many there's many potential reasons for being jealous but this more this morning it's because you've had 5 mil of rain and I've had none in Essex. Well that's what we get for living in the west country um, oh. we get a bit of rain now and again uh, yeah and actually you're right it is it's quite a, a a boon for us down here that we do get a rain occasion because it has been same for you and most people in the UK have had this 3 almost 4 weeks of Absolutely no rain. You know, rain for three months, one of the wettest Februaries on record, and then suddenly we go into this drought period. So actually having a bit of rain yesterday has done us a world of good. Well, no, you you say three weeks. So in Essex, we've not had rain now for well over a month. Wow. So I think, because I think you guys did have another little Mm. flurry a while back, and we've had nothing since um, we put our first early potatoes in in the middle of March. And we did that once the soil had dried out a little bit. And since... Um, first week of March, we've had no rain in Essex, and um, yeah, I've I've liked, I've enjoyed the sunshine. Don't get me wrong, but uh, this grey we've got sort of grey skies this morning, and that's about it. But oh, please, we're desperate for some rain here. We really, really are. Um, we've explained to regular listeners already that my soil type at uh, East Dunlan Hall, and indeed in my own garden, is light and sandy, which brings many benefits. It uh, warms up really quickly in the spring. It's very free draining. It uh, doesn't get claggy. It doesn't. Plants don't rot over the winter through through waterlogging. You have clay soil in Devon. Now, I love my sandy soil. When I put my spade prongs in it and um, dig it over, it's absolutely delicious. But it's it's really, really drying out. And I'm having to water, as I would do in the summer, every two, three days. I've got things in pots. I've got transplants just put out under cloches. Um, oh, please. You guys in the West, stop hogging the rain and, and let it fall in the, on in East Anglia, please. It's funny you mention the soil in, in the West Country. Yes, we do have this clay. And then underneath the clay, we have something we call locally uh, shillet. It's like this sort of rocky, soily layer. Absolutely horrible. Which is one of the reasons why we de- developed the Devon shovel or the Cornish shovel if you're over the border. Um, Which is the best shovel in the world. I remember you saying that. It is an that. absolutely amazing shovel. It's the classic grave digger's shovel. And it's absolutely absolutely amazing for digging but clay soils for me are a double-edged sword yes they are hard to work and manage but on the other hand they're so full of nutrients and they're a great Mm. base to start with in veg gardens in ornamental gardens because they just contain so much nutrients and they hold water and those are the two things that as you are developing your soils through uh, adding organic uh, matter or however you ameliorate the soil um, the one thing that you really want to keep as a key component is a bit of water retention and then a good nutrient base so that all your plants start off really well so in yeah. some ways okay our clay soils 
down here and around the UK are hard to manage sometimes. And when you've got a new plot, the last thing you want to have to do is break a few spades before you can actually get a garden looking good. But I will say to everyone, clay is one of the best starting blocks to start with if you want to make that, what what us gardens call Nirvana, that rich loam, lovely crumbly soil. Yeah, I remember in my university days sitting there in the soil science lectures understanding all about the chemistry of why these soils are more fertile than others. So sandy soil does not have the capacity to hold on to nutrients. The the sand particles just have no ability to do that. Whereas clay has got, if I remember rightly, it's lots of negative hydrogen ions. And the negative hydrogen ions connect onto positive cations, which are things like the calcium, the magnesium, um, all sorts of nutrients. So physically, I know there's some, I know your face is like, what? I what must you, write this, this down. Let me get, let me get a pen true. and a notepad. <laughs> Yeah, but this is a soil science lecture. I sat through them and I think you, you need to, to, to endure my pain. <laughs> but honestly, that's, that's what they do. It's, it's, it's the chemical process. They do have the ability to lock onto these ions and, uh, and that's why they're so fertile. And the particle sizes are incredibly small. So there's lots of potential, lots of surface area there to hold onto nutrients. And also the small particle size means that that's why they get waterlogged. They can get quite claggy. Whereas sandy soils are really open, free draining, but low fertility, clays, high fertility, and yeah that is uh, in a nutshell the the three years of my university knowledge on <laughs> soil science do, do you know i'm pretending to be bored because actually the soil and the makeup of the soil is probably the single you mm. know most important aspect of gardening in some ways i think it's so, fundamental I, I think the old yeah. saying is that we don't manage plants uh, a good gardener manages soil at the end of the day yeah. and yeah you know if if you want to become a better gardener really understanding what you were talking about and understanding your own soils is probably the mm. real key to getting really successful and building those beautiful gardens that we do when i when i um i lecture for the um rhs hyde hall i do i do courses there for them and i do day courses on how to garden for beginners and that actually that is one of the first things I will teach them I'll say look this is quite you know quite sciencey quite dry subject but it's so important to understand your soil type and and you know when you when you show people that um that the, I have samples of a, a sandy soil and a clay soil and I pass them around and show people how you can mold clay into something sand it's far more crumbly you can feel the sand particles in it um and we go through all the the pluses and negatives of each of these soil types but as you say it's so important for then establishing what plants will thrive in your garden that Beth Chateau mantra of right yes. plant for the right place it all comes down to understanding your soil but but going back to the rain because that's what I'm really irked about this morning um <laughs> just to say that oh, oh you've got a bird in your in your in your spare bedroom <laughs> um but yeah so just going back to the going back to the the moisture um <laughs> you've lost me I've come throw me going back to the moisture levels of, of soil sandy soils like I said they, it, I've noticed that East London Hall once it starts to dry out it's so so difficult to re-wet our soil because the soil on the top it sort of powders and when um, you know when you get really dry compost and you can't re-wet your compost because yeah. the moisture won't, it literally yeah. runs off the surface. That's what will happen with our sandy soil. If I, well, it would do if I haven't enriched it. And what we've been doing is mulching, mulching, mulching very heavily the last couple of weeks to make sure that, that the surface where we can stays a bit more moist and the mulch will lock into the, that, that moisture. So, um, yeah, how do you? So, tell me about how you manage your your soil and your irrigation at Stonelands. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting, and it depends because you were saying about the different plants and mentioning Beth Chatter there. Because it's really interesting. Because I think 
you can get a bit blinkered into trying to create one soil type. But actually, according to whether you're growing veg or, or ornamentals or different types of ornamentals, there's different soil arrangements for different parts of the garden. There's definitely at Stonelands. For, so, for example, in the veg garden specifically, um, we'll, we'll uh, mulch every autumn with our homemade compost that we make on site. Um, the only problem with the homemade compost is I can't guarantee it's weed free. So that's okay on the veg gardens where I can weed um, or I actually use the stale seabed technique. I have a massive flame gun which takes out all the weed seed. But on the ornamentals, on the other hand, we have to buy in green waste compost because I can't add more weed seed to that. Um, also with the ornamentals um i don't actually want the nutrient level to be too high compared to the veg garden because i want the stuff to grow what i call a bit harder on the ornamentals Hard. mm. so they don't grow too lush and going back to our last podcast talking about staking if it goes too lush they start just flowing everywhere uh, also i find if you overfeed ornamental herbaceous borders um they do tend not to put on as much flower as growing them harder. That's what I find, especially for our types of plants, the salvias, the oringiums, etc. When they're grown mm. harder, they actually put on more flower. Um, and the same goes with irrigation in some way. So I don't tend to. Again, this is probably more down to being the West Country where we do have a slightly... Um, uh, raised level of moisture let's say down here um i don't tend to irrigate our ornamental beds so much um because again i don't want them to get too carried away with the growing but i will obviously uh irrigate our veg beds because they're annual veg and you want to get the biggest best yields you can a little bit of water on them when it is uh drought conditions will do the world of good now saying that i don't not water the one thing i will irrigate a lot of is our new uh woody plant growing um woody plants uh tend to spend a few years of their lives when they start actually putting down roots especially trees um they tend to start putting down roots first before they start putting on top growth so to to really get them well established for the first few years after planting you need to concentrate on getting those uh, or, or aiding them getting those roots into the soil and one way to do that is to make sure they're well watered so any trees i plant magnolias anything really i will be watering especially in these drought conditions for a good two years after i've planted them to establish that roots going into the soil as soon as they get their roots to a depth and they're near the water table they'll be fine and then you can just let them do their thing but lots of people, I think, plant shrubs in their gardens or trees and then find they fail in the first two years because they're not um, treating them nicely to get the roots down. So I can highly recommend that you even even if it's sort of raining lightly, because you'll be surprised how far the rain doesn't go into the soil profile. It might be worth just watering, say, every two weeks, any new trees or uh, shrubs that you're putting in. Yeah, no, I I'm, I echo that entirely. When I, when I plant a new uh, shrub or tree at the hall, and herbaceous perennials to a degree as well, but specifically the trees and the shrubs, I make a note, I've got a notebook, I write down the name of all the plants that are new, whether they be roses, trees, um, you want them, anything like that, it goes into my notebook. And for those, for the next two years, in any period of dry spells, like the, that, as I say, the minute over in Essex, we've had over a month of dry weather, really high temperatures, I will make sure I give them a really good soaking at least once a week, mm. just to, just to ensure that the roots 
settle in. Often when you buy containerized plants, especially, the roots are very congested in that pot. They've been in the pot for a few years. And um, so they're in a very small volume of compost. And then that can dry out so, so quickly. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree completely about the, the watering regime for these, for the, for the new plants in, in the gardens. And um, going back to the, to the irrigation, I mean, like I say, we are, we, our soil types really are chalk and cheese. Mm. Um, so, but what I tend to do, I don't feed our herbaceous borders because like you, I don't want there to be lots of lushness. I feed the rose, um, area with, with high potash fertilizer. So that goes down each spring. I will feed the vegetable garden, as you say, for the same reasons to get lots of product productivity and high yields but I do we do have seep hoses that are um, running all the way along our herbaceous border so that's a good 40 meters of border they're about three meters four meters deep uh, so we've got seep hoses snaked underneath the mulch so we anchor them into the ground um, every year we, we check that there's no leaks and bits and bobs in the spring do some maintenance turn the tap on and I lately I've actually turned the tap on overnight because these heat poses, they very, very slowly drip moisture into the soil. And that actually is, I, that's my preferred method of irrigation. If you flood the soil um, with, a, with a gush of water from a watering can, very often you see that the water will run off yeah, from where you absolutely. want it to be and it puddles somewhere else. You're like, well, that's no good. So this very slow, steady, prolonged irrigation, I find for our soil type, a lot better. Um, and when I go to into the vegetable garden to irrigate, I'll put down... Either um, we've got oscillating sprinklers or um, we've got some seat posters along the south wall because we've got espalier pears there and they get very, very dry in that situation. They're very mature and established. And I noticed uh, I actually had the irrigation on them for a good few hours yesterday because they've just finished flowering. The fruit roots are just forming. And that to me is a very sensitive time for fruit trees. They're, they're trying to hold on to as many fruitlets as they possibly can. And if they get drought stressed at that time, then they will abort a lot of the fruits. So I've, I've specifically irrigated the pears yesterday. Um, I haven't irrigated in the veg garden yet. I'm really holding off, hoping we were supposed to have rain yesterday and there's meant to be rain today, but it's just not falling. So next week I will be irrigating the kitchen garden, which then means weeds and it... it well, that's what I was about... Do you know, I was about to say that. The one thing you want to really... And I teach this to my trainees is that when you're uh, putting planting in... When you're doing the watering, you want to specifically water where you've planted because if you tend to generally douse the beds in water, what you'll find is you're just encouraging weed seeds to germinate and come up and you're just making your life twice as hard. But then, but then we have whole beds of onion sets, for example. We have now whole beds of potatoes right. in. So, so from my point of view, I can irrigate them. I can get the sprinkler on and I can leave it. And I can do that for a good couple of hours to give the soil a real thorough... I, I'd rather give it a real thorough soaking every now and then than just a light water here and there, just so it really gets it really gets into the roots where the plants need it. And then, of course, I do have to then hoe. Um, I'm very mindful that as soon as I irrigate in that way, especially in our, on our lovely sandy soil, which is like a seedbed in the best of times. Um, but we, it doesn't take too long. If you get a, a sunny day with a breeze behind you, tickling the hoe over the beds for a couple of times, we, it's something that we, we have to take on the chin and we do that. Um, but because it, it means that the vegetable crops do get a really, really good irrigation. And that's my priority to get them looking really good. 
And if I have to make a bit of work for myself, then so be it. So Yeah, I, I, and I was going to ask with the seep hose, you mulch over the top of the seep hose or do you lay yeah, that on do. top of the mulch? Okay, so to allow the water to penetrate. Because sometimes one of, one of the things that can happen with mulch is it can form this cap on top of the, especially when it's fresh, and that mm. actually any water or any rain you get or irrigation you use only penetrates into the mulch and doesn't actually get down into the soil. So it is really worth with those seep hope systems to actually put them down before you mulch and then the water will get down into the roots. And through aesthetics as well. It looks a lot nicer if you're hiding these these tubes. Don't look. I mean, they're very practical, but they don't look the best thing. No, they're, so, they're, they're, they're not uh, that aesthetic, are they? And the, the other thing that you should always know if you do that is is just be careful where you're sticking spades or forks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, I know. we used um, the seep hose system back at Anthony House when I was working for the trust about 15 years ago, and we were quite new to it. And then we went off, we went to weed the beds, and then I suddenly re- didn't realise till the end of the season that all our watering was actually just coming out of the little meter end from the hose because someone had gone through that end with the spade, <laughs> and actually none of the rest of the beds were getting watered. So you do have to watch out for a little bit of manual damage. Yeah. They're very, they're very, very good for, as I say, for you can turn the tap on and you've got peace of mind that that bed is being irrigated. But as I say, every spring we go through before, because uh, the, the mulch degrades and rots down if, through the season. So every spring we're left pretty much with not much mulch left. So you've got the seep hoses. We, we, it, we've called them up through the winter anyhow, and then we put them back down again okay. and we just check. So yes, you, there's, there's management um, that you need to undertake for seep hoses. To, and we had some, we did have some old fabric ones that every now and then if you put the water pressure up too high on the tap, they start split in the most spectacular fashion and this lovely arch of water would appear from the rose beds and you'd have to then go and spend ages mending it but we've managed to persuade the owners now that we've got brand new the, the seat posters on site are now all within two years old so oh, that's nice they as long as i don't stab them with my fork or nobody else does we're we're good to go talking about east donnellands and just talking about water practice in general uh, are you 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 guys on the mains we are on the mains yes yeah we're very lucky at uh Stonelands in that we've got a borehole uh which uh takes its water direct from the ground so the one of the things that we uh don't get any uh problems with is when there's hose pipe bands we're actually exempt which is very lucky as long as we don't extract over the amount we've set so i'm quite lucky in terms of the fact that i don't have to be so water minded but i guess with the mains have you guys ever come up against uh, not being able to actually irrigate um with the hose and you've had to go to the hand method as it were we haven't as yet even when we had the not last year but the year before when it was remarkably dry for such a long period of time we still managed to use the mains because we've got lots thankfully we've got lots of taps around the whole gardens everything's accessible the um the kitchen garden's got three in so the, the swimming pool garden's got its own one the one around the front of the house has there's a tap there we've got a couple on the herbaceous borders we've we've got taps in many many places and we've got a system of hose pipes that all get coiled up in the autumn put we, we literally put them back out again yesterday um and they're all labelled up in the shed over the winter, right. so we know exactly where they're going to go. And we've got, yeah, so we're 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 okay when it comes to irrigating. But it's um, you just it's it's just the system that we have. And like I say, with our light sandy soil, I, I so need to be mindful of it. Um, and I can I, I just want to again end the podcast 
podcast by pleading with you, Saul, to send, can you send me some rain? I'm going to try. Uh, someone else asked me actually to stop the rain the other day because they had something more important. Everyone seems to think that I have some magical control over the weather coming from the West Country. But um, I'll tell you what, next time I see some, I'll try and blow it your way. So that's today's podcast. We hope you enjoy this shortened format and the look at our lives and our gardens. Hopefully you'll tune in again soon to hear about what we're up to. We understand that for many, life has changed in ways not imagined during the start of this year. Our thoughts especially go out to all our colleagues and peers in horticulture that have been drastically affected, and we hope that life will return and, like all good plants, flower again much better than before. In the meantime, please do get out into your gardens, support your local small specialist nurseries and enjoy time out from this extraordinary shift in ordinary life. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.